Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Believe in Betting Chicago. My name is Joy Christopoulos. Today's episode is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. Look, football, it might be over, but the NBA, college basketball, and NHL, it's in full swing, and baseball's right around the corner, and the only place you should be betting on any of these sports is at BetOnline.ag. Not into sports? No problem. BetOnline even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV. They have hundreds of props with real-time odds on almost anything you can imagine. And of course, don't forget about that 24-hour online casino. So head to the website or your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% off welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's BetOnline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for coming into the pod. It's a movie pod, ladies and gentlemen. And I am just so happy and grateful to say that this might be one of my favorite movies of all time. We're going to talk about it a whole bunch, but first let's bring in our panel. At first, you know, he was just, he was mopping the floors. Then he started making French fries. He was drying the lettuce. Now he's on the grill. Someday, four, five, seven, eight, nine years from now, he's going to be assistant manager at Stan Sanders Joyce. Hello, Dan. Yeah, listen, I'm going to be really honest with you, Joey. I knew you were going to do these intros, and I was hoping that you would make me Louis Anderson. I was really, really pulling to be Louis Anderson in this opening credit. So cheers to this. We got another one coming up here. Our St. Louis boy. It's the Golden Arches, it's the Golden Arcs, it's the Big Mac, it's the Big Mick. Either way, it's Eric Neninger. Hello, Eric. My bun doesn't have sesame seeds. That's the difference. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have to check you on that, sir. We're going to have to double check on that. And finally, our returning champion. She's our queen to be today. There's no other introduction needed. It's Angel Parker. Hello, Angel. Oh, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Queen to be. Infection free. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. I wrote I wrote down all the lyrics. That's right, you guys. We're talking about Coming to America, a movie that has a sequel coming out in just a couple of days on Amazon Prime Video. But we want to talk about this 1988 classic, a movie that came out June 26, 1988, and it made $288 million to this date. Just real quick, you guys, this are other movies that came out that month. Big came out, Funny Farm, a couple weeks later, Poltergeist 3, Bull Durham, the Great Outdoors the weekend after that, Red Heat the weekend before, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and then Coming to America. And then two weeks after that, Die Hard came out. Pretty amazing time to be watching movies. But Coming to America, a movie that stands apart from, I think, all of those movies for so many different reasons that we're about to dive into. Angel, I would love to have you go first. It's different for everyone. I, I usually ask the question, where did you first watch this movie? But screw that. Where did, like, What was your first exposure to Eddie Murphy? What are your first memories? Do you remember, was it SNL? Was it something different? You know, And what does Eddie mean to you in your life? Yeah, I was a little young for SNL. I mean, I've seen it obviously in reruns and um, and his stand-up the same. But no, I think Coming to America was the first film that was required viewing for any black child in America. We all, I mean, except for the first five minutes where there's nudity, that movie um, was, you know, just the gold standard for any family to watch together every Christmas, every holiday. We, we love that movie. We know it. It was also just, you know, black people were wealthy and they were kings and queens and you, it was just, I, I love that movie. I've seen it a hundred times. I love it. Yeah, it's a weird twist on almost like a Cinderella story. And it's so funny, real quick, when I first watched this movie, my parents didn't care about the boobies for some reason. But when Body by Jake gets out of the taxi cab and goes, you dumb fuck, it's really like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> yeah, it's like the swearing versus the nipples. I don't know what's worse, but um, you need the swearing if you're in Queens. It was also just Africa versus African-American. I mean, there were so many 
just themes in this movie that made um, made us all sing. We loved it. We loved every bit of it. Eric, what is uh, do you remember? What are your first memories of Eddie Murphy? Was do you remember exactly what it was or because he was so popular at the time, just seemed like he was a little bit everywhere. I feel like SNL was my first memories of him, but it must have been reruns. But I was a big SNL fan. And so I, I remember Gumby and Mr. Robinson's Neighborhood and like um he did something that like uh, James Brown with the hot tub uh, bit, but I was a big SNL guy. I know I wasn't watching it in the seventies when he was on, when he was like 13 or whenever he was on <laughs> SNL, he was so young. Was so it must've younger. been like the compilation things. And then he was the funniest, biggest movie star in the world in the eighties. Like my older brother would get a VHS copy of trading places or something. And we would be able to watch it because of the swearing and stuff. But I do know that I was a huge Eddie Murphy fan. Like everybody was, when coming to America came out because that was like the big one that he was already established and you knew it was going to be great, but it probably was SNL. Yeah. And this is coming on the tail end. I think it's fair to say of one of like the hottest streaks you will ever see from a movie star ever from like 48 hours to Beverly Hills cop. So I think golden child to Beverly Hills cop to, to then coming to America, Dan, what is your recollection? You know, growing up, how did you, how did you first meet Eddie Murphy? And what form did you meet him? I don't remember exactly when the first time I saw Eddie Murphy, but I, I, he was, he, like we're all saying he was ubiquitous at the time. He was just sort of everywhere. And I definitely remember in the summer when I would just be chilling, watching TV, there was always like on comedy central or USA, like a very heavily edited version of Beverly Hills cops or, you know, coming to America or trading place or something like that and that is definitely where i remember like oh this dude's different this dude this dude like uh runs a different kind of ship than everybody than everybody else on the scene right you know at that time we haven't uh, even mentioned the massive stand-up specials that he did like that's where he probably was at his greatest where those stand up like the red leather stand up right well right raw is 87 this is the year previous to coming to america so he's doing it on so many different fronts angel hop in yeah no it's like uh, you know kevin hart nowadays it's it hasn't been that's he took it from eddie murphy from that that outline we even say trading places was in there too he was the greatest and then he and then what i love is that then he's like now i'm gonna make my, my movie i want to make the movie that i want to make and it's still considered at least for me the greatest movie he's ever made uh, yeah D joey just real quick you were given that run i just want to 48 hours then trading places right uh beverly hills cop couple stand-ups the golden child beverly hills cop 2 coming to america and i would say listen obviously shrek it was a huge like cultural touchstone but I would say that maybe coming to America is the last great Eddie Murphy movie. I mean, like, well, I think of that era definitely because then he went into, I think he had kids, I guess. I don't know. He went into Shrek. He went into Nutty well, Professor. Boomerang, which was great. Yeah, so he, he started doing more like that Distinguished soundtrack. Gentleman, Vampire in Brooklyn. He was still but playing like, multiple characters, though, at times in those movies. So let me kind of frame it like this. And then, uh, Eric, you'll go first on this one. What's so interesting about it is, for those movies that we just mentioned in the 80s, which made him such a huge movie star, it seemed to be the movies where he was always the smartest guy in the room. He always knew a little something more than everyone else. And he had, obviously, the sense of humor and the wit to always outsmart everyone every step along the way. This was the first movie where not only did he play dual roles, which became a staple of his career, but he also played a main character who wasn't necessarily... I don't know the smartest person in the world, but he was someone more on a journey to absorb and get information about a new place. It was a different role that I feel like almost kind of made him, I don't want to say more likable because Eddie Murphy's one of the most likable movie stars of all time, 
but it also sort of changed him in a way that made him a little bit more of a leading man. Yeah, I was noticing that. Uh, Angel and I watched the movie again last night, and I was noticing that it was probably the first time that Eddie didn't have one foot inside the movie and one foot outside the movie. Because when he was Beverly Hills Cop, he was sort of what we all wanted to be, the cool guy that could talk his way out of everything and solve the crimes and trading places. He was kind of like SNL, you know, a little bit in, a little bit out with a wink to it. But he completely went ahead and was totally the character not trying to be Eddie Murphy in Coming to America, which I thought was brilliant when you've established a brand like that that's so worldwide huge to go ahead and say okay now I'm going to actually become an actor because I think that Eddie always wanted to be more than just the big smile and the funny one-liner and he he did it there by almost like stepping aside and not being Eddie Murphy you know I mean he's got the big smiles he's got the funny jokes but really he's playing kind of a sheltered nerdy character who's never seen the world and he just does it in such a great Eddie Murphy way I don't know if he had this script before or wrote it with that intention, but he looked at this movie and said, I'm not necessarily going to do the Eddie that we've seen in those, you know, five huge movies before then. I thought that was brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah. There's an innocence to it, obviously. And it's written into the character, but there's a couple of moments where like, he's about to do the Eddie Murphy laugh, but he doesn't. Yeah. And it's almost, it's very conscious, right? It's almost like, I'm not going to give that to you. Angel, is it fair to say that maybe this is like a turning point in Eddie's career for the better or for worse? I mean, he's a leading man. He's a um, he's endearing. He's lovable. It makes you love him. It makes you want to marry him. I mean, every girl, at least me, imagine me looking through the lens of the leading lady and being like, oh, I can understand that. Also, she was smart. She was um, uh, could have her choice of man. And she picked him she picked the the, the lowly goat herder um over soul glow so it was and her dad was a businessman and her sister was a slut and they lived in the biggest house in jamaica queens like it, it was just something new it was a gift that eddie gave to the black community so i thank him for that and also donkey donkey was donkey's funny come on <laughs> yeah, well, yeah well donkey i mean i still ride for like nutty professor and i still love boomerang so i mean it's not like he I'm not trying to say that he, you know, his career went off the map as some people want to make it out to be. He just started making different films. Dan, hop in. He started making money. <laughs> oh, this was, I think this might be like the last great, like generally consensus other than his voice. This is the last great Eddie Murphy vehicle. I think because he started doing different movies. He was like, I already did the massive Ooh, vehicle. I decided to then. But like Nutty Professor, Nutty Professor, as fun as it is, like isn't a great movie. No, you know, Bowfinger is. Don't sleep on Bowfinger, dude. It's not a great also, movie. Oh, dude, but again, is really good. But again, like a cult classic, like okay. not a generally consent, not not the general consensus of everybody going like. Everybody goes coming to America. Yes. In our, in our age bracket, coming to America. Yes. Yeah. And it might not have been this movie, but keep in mind, he did another 48 hours in 1990, a movie yeah. that the first one's dark. The second one's even darker. Yeah. And both those movies, I mean, he's funny in them, but there's a lot of material in it that does not stand the test of time. And I'm wondering if him going through maybe that experience also maybe sort of changed him and put on, put him on a little bit of a different trajectory. Let's talk about some of the elements in this movie. Let's just start at the beginning. Um, a fantastic, I had to look it up a little bit. Lady Smith Black uh, Mambazo is the opening. They also do, uh, you know, the lion sleeps tonight, but this is a different slowed down version. Those are, are the same people singing and singing that same track. And it just opens up to what would be this, uh, this regal paradise, if you will. And Eddie Murphy, let's just say, He's got it all. Uh, life is going pretty good for him. And there's a lot of there's a lot of jobs. There's a lot of employment right now. So maybe we can just start it off a little bit light right now. 
you know, we are in a pandemic. People are looking for jobs here and there. We're trying to find work as best we can. We got to take what we can get. So I do want to ask you in that opening sequence, he is being pampered. There's nothing that he does for himself. So Dan, you know, you're in a tight spot. You know, you got to get a job. You got to figure it out. You know, which job would you probably want, you know, at that Zamunda, at that Zamunda castle, at the Joffer and the Joffer family uh, lineage? Would you want to be, and I'm going to list them off to you. You know, we've got the rose petal bears. We've got the toothbrusher. We've got the guy who gargles the throat. We've got the guy who brings over the water for the rinse. We've got a butt wiper, a penis cleaner, a food taster, a stick fight trainer, or, you know, is there maybe a job that we didn't see in the movie that you'd probably prefer? Some of these are obviously going to be a big fat no, but, you know, which one are you thinking? Well, none of them are a no if I'm on a royal salary, but I'm just going to be honest. Uh, I need a job. Look, we haven't worked in a year, but here's the thing. I, I, I did. How, how, clean, how clean do you want the penis? Just, yeah. you know, I, I'm <laughs> a professional. I'm a professional. Listen, it's a job. Um, but no, I, I did think about this. I have grown a little accustomed to my more leisurely life in quarantine. So I do want to keep that in mind. However, I know I need to add value. But one thing that I've become very good at during quarantine is making coffee. So everybody needs a little espresso pick me up around 3 p.m. I would like to be the royal espresso maker for 3 p.m. Coming around two, clock in, talk to the rose petal girls, get the chat from, you know, uh, the stick fighting and all that make myself an espresso maybe uh and then get to work on the royal espresso clean up i'm out of there by 315 boom on a royal salary give it to me every any day of the week i'm in that sounds yeah that sounds like a pretty good that sounds like a pretty good maneuver there even though you are uh you're you're eating uh, drinking the espresso on company time i'm not sure how i feel about that but who looks at the books really let's be honest here angel is there a job that you would want to take uh that seems at all amenable or, or appeasing to you Oh yeah, man. Babar's trainer, you know, just right there on the side, just waiting for. There was no animal trainer at all. Those animals just ran wild. They no, were just somebody, all over. Somebody, That's because they've been trained. Somebody yeah. Feeds, somebody feeds. Somebody Babar. has to feed them. Uh -huh, I'd be right there. I don't know. I think I would like to actually be a member of the live alarm clock band that comes in and sits down on the balcony and, and plays them awake. That's pretty awesome. Cause you only have to work like Dan, you're saying three minutes a day, every day early, but then you get the rest of the day yourself. Well, that's the part of, so yeah, there's, the a strange, there's a strange assembly line aspect to it, right? Where you're like, oh, who are you? No, I work uh, 9.15 to 9.20. Well, no. <laughs> oh, I'm the 9.35. That's why we never see each other. Because it's, it's always right. moving around. Clock in, clock out kind of thing. These I think I got to go. There's the same guy over and over. He's changing clothes. Come on now. <laughs> I got seven jobs here. I got seven, I got seven jobs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it might be Babar for the win there. Let's just stick with that opening sequence because it's just so um, it's so amazing. It's visually stunning. Uh, well, we you're forgetting the fly-in when they fly in at the very, very the top. It's very much like um, like Wakanda. Wakanda. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Like just yeah. coming in over the land, and it was like this is beautiful Africa, and in with all these trees is this beautiful, colorful little village. It's it's and then he, and then he wakes up, and it's an unbelievable regal place. It's just like, beautiful. We never saw ourselves like that. It's just stunning to set the tone, and they took their time. And you don't see the woman underneath the water before the clean is <laughs> clean. She's just under there. 
She holds her breath forever, <laughs> which is what you want from a penis cleaner. And uh, my one of my favorite characters, as we can see in the background here, Oha comes in, you know, and he's just like, you know, Oha, do you think maybe today I could actually, you know, I could go to the bathroom by myself? And he goes, most amusing. And then <laughs> wipers and clap, clap. <laughs> and he says it plural, which means that there are multiple wipers for one job. Each one each wipe. It's disposable. They're they're it's <laughs> it's like baby wipes, man. Car- Carol and Cheryl come in and do that. <laughs> and yeah, so he's uh he's rocking and rolling. The penis is clean. Um, they get to which I find really interesting. I kind of always forget that the long table bit is a coming to America bit. That's not a Batman bit, ladies and gentlemen. That is a coming to America bit, first and foremost, mm. about how so rich they are that there's this distance. The great joke of James Earl Jones comes in. You know, I tied my shoes once. The experience was wildly overrated. <laughs> <laughs> and as we all know, you know, he is betrothed. Uh, you know, he has an arranged marriage to someone. And it's just not quite sitting well with him because, you know, Eddie Murphy's character wants to actually find love. And he wants to have someone that he can spend his life with who he actually respects. What a novel concept, even in the in, even in the 80s. But it comes up to this whole big procession. I want to talk about the director, John Landis. Tons of weird trivia stuff about John Landis in terms of his relationship with Eddie Murphy, where they worked together on Trading Places, had a great relationship, did not get along very well because Eddie got more famous. John Landis kind of worked with him younger in his career. So there was that disconnect there. And Eddie Murphy actually went out of his way to get John Landis the movie because he was having a problem, you know, making films at the time. And then they butted heads even worse and then work together somewhere later down along the road. But I bring up John Landis because I just want to talk about that dance sequence. You know, as a kid growing up, I mean, that was just unbelievable. That's so 80s to me. There's so many different drops of like Paula Abdul was involved in the choreography. Some people feel like that it's an up-tempo version of Thriller, that there are actual dance moves that are kind of borrowed from that a little bit and the way that they move uh, the dancers in and out of the whole scene. And it's really something that like, I think we're just really setting up the spectacle of it all of really like how rich these people are at the time. This is really, really effective stuff, what they're doing here. But just talk about like that dance sequence and everything that's building up towards it. I, well, I think you nailed it. I mean, that dance sequence is iconic and the length of that dance sequence too. It's not like he hit it for 30 seconds. That thing goes on for like two, three minutes. I mean, it is a full on spectacle but yeah you're right i mean the whole first the whole first 15 minutes 20 minutes of the movie is setting up just how big a discrepancy uh akeem is gonna have in new york from the life that he lives in zamunda yeah that's a great point and it just keeps it's funny going back and watching this movie now and i try and watch it every single year but there's really is just a constant tug and pull in terms of status and the comedy that is kind of being mined from it. And in the beginning part, we're really tugging at the the rich aspect of status, where when they get to America, they start kind of tugging at the poor aspect of status. It is an interesting film. Like, Angel, growing up, you, you keep talking about how, like, that was something that was just so amazing to you and, and just so fantastic. Just talk a little bit more about, like, those opening moments a little bit, because they're kind of they're tugging at the, the, the robe a little bit of being rich. But it really is. It's really cool. We're now in 2021 and we've heard hashtag representation matters and all of these things and how powerful Black Panther was for young boys to be the superhero. But to just imagine that you're the king and that Africa doesn't mean, you know, Bushmen and slavery. It means 
royalty. It was it was a big deal to see those dance moves. Like you, just, you mentioned Thriller. I mean, that's all African dance. That's all, that was a just, all of it was thought well thought out. The colors, it wasn't the, the colors that they used for all of the guests at the wedding, you know, let them wait. But the guests at the wedding had champagne and they were all kings and royal themselves. And yes, they were there for a wedding, but it was a, a love letter to black people that we could imagine ourselves and be there in, an, in a nice comedic way. Yes, I would love to have that. What would I do if I had all the money in the world, but also what would I wear and how would I act? And I mean, you can't get past the lion on James Earl Jones. I mean, what is that velvet? Is just, we say that all the time. Like I say that probably weekly. What is that velvet? Anytime <laughs> I see somebody dressed up, it means a lot. It meant a lot to the black community. And then for it to be just such a massive hit. Um, and the guy gets the girl at the end. I mean, when she comes in at the end in that pink wedding dress, I just, I, I beamed, I beamed. We all beamed. That was bigger than Princess Diana was the the pink wedding dress. Yeah, so, not to jump to the end of the movie, her line, her line reading of nah is so great too. Nah, like, yeah. <laughs> James Earl Jones, is there any better casting? Could it have been casted any better as a guy that's <laughs> ruling over a kingdom? I was thinking about that last night when we were watching it again, just like his voice is so iconic and, and a little bit with the Lion King with him being um, not, not Simba, but the Lion King's dad. Mufasa. Um, yeah. Mufasa. Like, so you do always hear that voice like that, but he's really, really funny in that. Like he plays it so straight and so statusy. Like when he's in New York, it's some of the funniest stuff. He asks somebody a question and as soon as they give him the information that he wants, he just walks out <laughs> and the rose petal people have to catch up with him. And it's so a king, like- My son works. It's, <laughs> it's amazing. But he's got this like Shakespearean royal status. I, I can't think of anybody doing it. It's one of those roles that as soon as somebody does it, you just don't even imagine that it was ever anybody else was thought of or that it wasn't him before the movie was even written. Like, God, his voice is amazing. He just also does the bit too of like, the wedding has been postponed. Goodbye. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Which so goes cool. to what you were saying about the opulence and the richness is that like that the characters did it so well, like Akeem being odd or, you know, just putting his toe in the water about maybe not having his ass wiped. But James Earl Jones just expecting life to go like that. He does it so brilliantly. He's like, of course, I'll change my mind. Why would I not? <laughs> and amidst all this royalty, we have one of my favorite parts. Uh, Oha's song is the as this bride to be comes down the down the aisle. She's your queen to be. A queen to be forever, a queen who'll do whatever, who'll do whatever his highness desires. She's your queen to be, a vision of perfection, an object of affection, to quench your royal fire, completely free from infection, to be used at your discretion, waiting only for your direction. And acapella, acapella, acapella high falsetto, and then goes complete stone face afterwards. Yeah. It's, and, it's, and on 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 pitch, like he's he's. <laughs> I wouldn't call him the best singer, but he's not the worst. It makes you think that he's got either a side gig or a side hustle, or that was his like his previous job before. You know, sometimes you just get a job. You got to keep rolling with it. You end up somewhere you don't end up. You want to be. But he had a whole future. I think he had a musical career that we don't even know about. There's a lot of silence, though. There's nobody claps. Nobody. <laughs> nobody. In any of the moments. No, like there's just silence in between. I can see why Akeem wanted to leave. You're like, this place is boring. Like, I can't. You're right, though. He doesn't even get the Randy Watson treatment, not even no. like the tepid, the tepid golf clap or anything along those lines. 
Let's take a quick break and have a brief moment to talk about our new sponsor, eBay. Whether rare, dead stock, or the latest release, find the exact shoe you're looking for at eBay. As the original sneaker marketplace, eBay is the place to cop the best pair you've been eyeing. With eBay's authenticity guarantee, your sneakers are meticulously inspected by independent professional authenticators. A team of experienced sneaker authenticators verify the box, the logo, the stitching, and dozens of other inspection points. Each sneaker also receives an authenticity guarantee tag that includes a digital stamp of, what did I say? Authenticity. And it also protects sellers with a verified return process and for the sneaker sellers out there ebay has eliminated selling fees and sneakers over 100 making it free to sell or flip your collection so go to ebay.com sneakers today ebay the world's best destination for discovering great value and unique selection now back to the pod so guys let's just uh, so basically the the concept of the movie is now he has 40 days to go to america and as the father thinks so his so his royal oats but so does arsenio hall 40 days of fornication 40 days of fornication (laughs) and also you know also maybe to possibly fall in love and find his wife so off to queens they go this is where it just completely like Gets out of control. Body by Jake comes in, calls him a dumb fuck. Um, we get there and we get our first shot of the barbershop. Let's just kind of start there. This is the first moment when you get that dual role from Eddie Murphy. Just in general, Dan, if you want to go first on this one, dual roles at the time, you know, we can talk about, you know, an Alec Guinness or Peter Sellers, Jerry Lewis. This hadn't been attempted really in kind of decades, this type of this type of performance. It really is mind bending. But the question is moving forward. It wasn't something that started an era that we really liked, right? I mean, Eddie's the only, he's a one in one, right? Outside of Mike Myers. Is this something, do you like people that play dual roles or is this something that's like Eddie's corner only? I was going to say Mike Myers definitely has to be in the conversation of like where that was acceptable. The first Austin Powers is an incredible movie. Uh, But then like Martin, Martin Lawrence was, did, did, did okay with the genre. Um, But can, I can't really name too many other people that I'm like, yeah, let me see them do it. Let me see them lead a movie in multiple facets, <laughs> you know, uh, multiplicity, multiplicity was pretty great. But it's tough though, right? I mean, um, Eric or Angel, if you guys want to hop in, it's just funny that like, I love this movie so much because he plays so many different characters and they are all so hilarious and he is so talented and it's so amazing that it's overwhelming. It's almost hard to take in, but at the same time, it sort of does usher in an era where it's just hard to repeat. It's hard to do that successfully. And it's, it's weird to kind of comes to grips with that now because sometimes when people do that, it's kind of a groan. I mean, when you do something that's so brilliant like that, because I think Coming to America stands with alone without the comedic stuff. Like, I mean, the barbershop, you can't get rid of the barbershop and a New York barbershop is the perfect place for Akeem to go to and have his haircut. But let's say like Eddie didn't play those other characters and it was just the movie about the prince leaving Zamumba and coming to Queens. Like it's a, it's such a solid story anyway. Like you said, like kind of a reverse Cinderella story or something like that. He's so genius that everybody wants to imitate it. Like it's always going to trickle down a little bit. It's always going to be like a, you know, a derivative of something that was great. And yeah, you're going to get a watered down version of it. I think of Robin Williams doing Mrs. Doubtfire, but we all knew that Robin Williams character was dressing up. This one was not meant to be a, a character putting on a costume to fool everybody else. You know, that was the difference between it. And then the dinner scene at Naughty Professor, which I know is him doing it again, but that was phenomenal. Other than that, yeah, Mike Myers in, in the first Austin Powers, but I don't know. I wish no one else would have tried to touch it. Well, yeah, yeah, it's funny. It's, uh, you know, name whatever, I don't know, musical band or something that comes out that's so something out. Uh, Nirvana comes in my mind, and then you have four, like 45 different bands that try and copy that sort of sound or that feeling. You know, Angel, do you, do you find that, like, it's just hard to live up to? 
or you know without becoming derivative or is it just eddie's the best at it like beginning middle yeah. and end eddie's just kind of the best because each character was fully you know flushed out that's the thing too is you have to be good at it it's, it takes time like who wants to do all that time they i mean martin did he, martin did it martin was great i mean shenanay was a great character and all the other ones too and rel did it on his show um but it's hard to do and and it is all just kind of trying to be like eddie but he was great at it but each character and then even arsenio was great arsenio at it. arsenio great. played a lot too um tyler perry plays a lot of different characters so it's it's not impossible he was just great at it and because he was so great we we gave it to him or we bought into each character we loved each each role i mean the different guys in the barbershop the different people we we loved them all we we got them the jewish guy who played was that eddie that's eddie yeah Ooh. yeah yeah and we're gonna get into some categories and we're gonna start picking our favorites in a second but what why arsenio hall's great in this movie just real quick i mean why wasn't he in more movies do we have any theories here is it literally because his his talk show became so popular i mean what do we think yeah his talk show and then and he, I, I, I know our studio, um, and he's great. Uh, he became a father. He's, he's a single dad. So he um, wanted to raise his boy. So, and then, yeah. Nick, and then he, he came back with Marshall the talk show. Played, but, but he's in this new one coming out, right? He better be. I think he is. He he better yeah, be. no, I just think he's, he's so good in this movie. Yeah. I mean, the dude's a legitimate yeah. film actor and probably could have carried movies on his own if he chose. It's just a funny what if. I love how all their accents are very different from each other's. <laughs> but we're not going to go down the accent lane. <laughs> Do you think 300,000 is enough? Do you think I should ask for 400,000? Yeah, I go for it. <laughs> Great little line. Well, let's get into some categories. Let's start picking out kind of our favorites. Let's just kind of go for, I don't want to say maybe favorite scene, but sort of favorite sequence. And if I don't name one, please throw one out there. That might be your favorite. I'm just going to throw three one out, three out for there for right now. Barbershop scenes, Black Awareness Week, or nightclub montage. Yeah, when you were saying you were going to uh, pitch three, I was wondering if nightclub montage was going to be in there because that's the one that I forget so much. And I was laughing the most at that one last night. And Arsenio Hall's like he's basically in drag with like the huge woman that says, I'm going to tear you up. <laughs> he's really, really good at that. I think I got to go nightclub montage. Oh, if not wedding sequence in the opening though. I mean, the opening of the thing with the wedding sequence, that dance that we were talking about earlier is phenomenal. And it, they're so amazing, but it's also kind of funny because it's so over the top, but at the same time, it's not because it's the prince's wedding. So of course they're going to go all out for it. I don't know. The, the wedding sequence, I might have to say, just edges out nightclub sequence for me. And nightclub montage, perhaps having something to do with the sequel, right? Oh, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing, right? Like, he has a baby with somebody. I'm just the ass. I don't know what my name is, Peaches, and I'm the best on <laughs> the DJs. Want to feel my breath? <laughs> oh, 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 I can't. I can't. It's so good. It's so good. And then I, I write songs, and then I produce. Yeah, I the and I really want to produce, and I, I mean, that's every actress friend I have. <laughs> well, what is funny though is she literally says all the stuff that Eddie's doing in his career at the time, and it's putting him to sleep, which is kind of. Of a funny really great jab on him because you know he does have the music career that is the part yeah where they're now eddie murphy production movies like, i didn't catch that yeah and then i want to i want to produce my own produce my own stories and oh my gosh it's so great i never thought that i didn't think that either angel what's uh what out of those three or is there a different one out there that really stands out oh, barbershop what's, nightclub yeah, what's montage Eric character what's eric's house character um Daryl, Daryl. I do not care about Daryl. So either. yeah, I do not care about Daryl. No, when Daryl makes his entrance, when he drives up to McDowell's, <laughs> it starts so far back. It's it, it must have been the one day they had the crane. 
because it was so far back in this red, I don't know what it was, a Corvette or something or something, I don't know, probably not a Corvette, but it was this red car and it slowly, slowly comes up and they're playing the soul gold music that, I mean, hit the introduction of him is just too much. It's too much. I they took it. their time with everything. They took, you know, yeah. they never like smashed things together. It didn't move as quickly as movies do now because it was that 80s one that breathed for a while. So they took a long time having Daryl show up. Yeah. And can we just talk about his outfits, which I always forget how awesome they are. Like the when he gets engaged, scars. when he gets engaged, the blue, I can't even describe it. It's, it's like, like blue, neon blue. flannel kind yeah, of yeah. like, it's kind of dope. Like I kind of want one of those. If, if you saw somebody walking or they were at the front row of a Laker game and they were wearing Daryl's neon flannel jacket, that shit would be dope. He also in the basketball game, when they go to St. John's, he's wearing this coat that looks like he bought it at like the Albuquerque airport it's, it's to make himself feel like he had been to Santa Fe. It's so amazing. It has the rolls on it. It's, it's incredible. I mean, I admit going back in you know, a very handsome dude and he's actually pulling it off. Like he's pulling off the soul glow, like really, really, really well. And also to your point, the way that they sort of take their time this movie uses music in ways that I, the reason why i love music movies is i think the way that this movie uses music where it can be used for a comedic element it can be used to kind of move the pace along you know you still have your coming to america then you see like you still have the theme song in there but it's not ham you're not hammering it over and over and over again they don't actually play the words to say can you see i'm coming to america till the Crime. very end i know they play, the, they play the theme the whole time but they don't actually play the words until the credits which is weird kind of it's a little bit of a rip off the james brown song too uh living in america it's like almost like kind of the same era a little bit yeah. dan barbershop nightclub montage black awareness week which one's your favorite <laughs> uh so a, a specific um barbershop scene is my favorite scene in the movie actually and and i will say it actually goes to eric's point it's the entrance of the king into new york when they all pull up in the, the right in front of his apartment and, and it takes forever and James Earl Jones finally steps out onto the rose petals and then they go into the barber shop. The barbers just don't give a fuck who they're talking to. And I think it's such a great like that's the Martin Luther King story, right? Which is my favorite one. Is that the Martin Luther King story? Finishes something and cleans the chair. Yeah. Chair two will be ready for you in a second. Yeah. <laughs> he just hits the chair. He he just like he just yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, sit down. Come on. I'll, like I'm gonna cut your hair regardless of who you are. I don't care. And I think it's such a great representation of Americans and like a foreign fucking king. We just don't give a fuck. I don't care who you are, Jack. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the word is this velvet too. That's the that's what he tells Yeah, that's that scene. That's 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 that scene. scene yeah. yeah, and it's just um uh, my favorite part about the barbershop scenes is that what he's actually with the stories that they're actually talking about, he's name dropping, right? But the name drop never really leads anywhere. Like so the story is just he met Frank Sinatra and Frank Sinatra told him that Joe Lewis was 137 years old. He met Martin Luther King Jr. after Martin Luther King punched him in the chest and didn't realize that he was somebody else. Like there are these like weird non sequitur stories that I guess people would tell that you would think are like cool stories, but they're actually kind of not. I like the non Eddie Murphy Arsenio dude. That's like, man, you yeah. ain't never met Martin Luther King. <laughs> Clint Smith. Yeah. yeah Clint Smith. He's a friend. He just sits in between the two of them while they're just riffing. That. At black awareness week. He's like a huge sexual chocolate fan. Like yes. he loves them so much. I love them. Oh yeah. Oh, that's yeah. honestly, that's like, I, I got to go to bed for black awareness week because you've got the Arsenio hall character who it, Reverend Brown, Reverend Brown. 
Here's Reverend the- Brown. It, it's such an interesting satire that he believes is a god somewhere because he's looking at women's butts in bikinis, which you would think did, doesn't age well, but it kind of does. Like it does. <laughs> it's still a great jab. Turn uh, really- around, ladies. Turn around. Yeah. <laughs> looks on high and looks down low, and then of course Randy Watson comes up, uh, which is so awesome. Um, because everyone has like a local celebrity right growing up that like is like was on like what days of our lives for like one episode and then they're like in the parade on fourth of july and you're like oh okay i guess that's i guess that's cool or whatever but um sexual chocolate and then yeah like arsenio hall puts like the chicken bone in like the collection plate and it's just got so many different elements in there which also brings us to we got to pick, guys. We got to pick. What's your favorite Eddie Murphy character and what's your favorite Arsenio Hall character? They play so many of them. Do you have me, one the, maybe that stands out beyond the other? Eric, go, go ahead. For me, the, the, the Jewish, he's not even a barber, right? He just sits in the no, barber shop. He just shop, sits but in the barber shop. Eddie Murphy's old Jewish guy is amazing because, like Angel said earlier, it's such a real full character and he's such a brilliant sketch artist and, and comedian that the guy. That you character know, is the best. I, every, I mean, <clears> still, every dinner, you know. Try the soup. Try the soup. Try the soup. Or if, if you know Eric's making dinner or something, and if we forget to set the table, the kid is. I'm always like, aha. aha. I mean, ah. so good. That's at the end of the movie. That's not even in the movie. That's in the end credits, which also yeah. amazing closing credits. I love when you run the cast over the end credits, uh, and the, even when they're not like bloopers, but they're kind of asides or they're in between stuff. I just think if that's- you had one a, like, line in that movie, they gave you a visual moving credit. It was amazing. Like some of the smallest stuff got credits. I thought Cooper Gooding Jr. was gonna pop up there as like kid getting haircut. Espresso maker didn't make it though. I'm sorry, Dan. I'm sorry, okay. you almost okay. made I'm, uh, I'm holding out for the fifth. We'll find out on the fifth if I, uh, if yeah. I made it. Yeah. So the story goes, uh, the makeup was done by Rich Baker. And the story goes that Eddie Murphy, after he was transformed into the Jewish character, he actually drove around the lot for an hour and walked into places and said in his normal voice, hi, I'm Eddie Murphy. And people were like, hey, what do you, you know, do you have an appointment or whatever? And that's how he knew that it worked. So as they moved it along slowly, that's how they knew they got it like just right. And it's kind of a mixture of like Gumby a little bit too, like his Gumby character, just like a tiny little bit, which is a nice recall as well. Dan, favorite Eddie Murphy character in this movie? Favorite Eddie Murphy character is Randy Watson. Uh, and I would say for Arsenio, it's a toss up for me between Reverend Brown and Arsenio and drag. I, I agree with Eric, like Arsenio and drag in that, in that nightclub montage is really funny and uh but he's he's incredible as reverend brown too he kind of holds his own with eddie murphy and you don't think of arsenio hall as being like this comedic giant but i don't know a spot in the movie that he's not on par with him because his barbershop guy is awesome too and that's oh, what but- i that's what makes me think about this too where like obviously we kind of have a vibe that eddie is going to go in and he's going to do multiple roles but like you think arsenio was like hey do you think it was approached where like hey arsenio's like hey come do this movie you get to play a bunch of roles or do you like, how does that organically happen? Where like now all of a sudden you're right. Like it has to, Arsenio kind of has to go toe for toe in the sandbox with Eddie, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. I wonder if they didn't know each other or knew that he could do it and was talking to him. I was like, Hey, I'm going to cast you for this or, or I'm, I'm making this movie and let's do it because it's such a weird thing. Like I said, the movie by itself is already great. And the two of them could have just played it and they could have just hired people to do that. But that idea to throw in that we're going to do legit makeup and disappear into these other roles he must have known that he wanted Arsenio well, to do Well, it's hard it. for Arsenio disappearing in those roles with that chin. All his characters had that But I, I feel like- you can, I, You're right, though. You can peg him from a mile away a little yeah. bit with the different characters. I feel like it's impossible to think that 
Eddie and Arsenio didn't know each other before they did this movie. Arsenio was a stand-up comedian and Eddie Murphy was the biggest movie star of in the world at this point. I mean, he it was to think that they didn't know each other before they did this movie. I don't I don't I don't think that's possible is it yeah i think they, there had to be some sort of connection or past or something like that we got two more things and then we're going to get you guys out of here real quick the first one is we got to give credit out to john amos just real quick because the original kunta right yeah well first of all excellent joke excellent joke but on when you really dive in and dig into this movie what's so interesting about this is he does he does move it narratively a lot of different ways through. He also has a semi kind of villain in terms of like the fable lessons of the story of marrying for money a little bit. But at the same time, he plays it with such heart. And whoever wants to hop in, go ahead. I find it so interesting that the first half of this movie is packed with laughs, just packed with comedy and laughs. The second half deals with a little bit more of the narrative, more of the, the situations, the expectations, all that stuff. And John Amos kind of swoops in and he has to carry a lot of the comedic lifting towards the end of this movie, whether it's, you know, doing the back and forth with Daryl, kicking him out, whether it's the interaction with, as we mentioned, when James Earl Jones comes to the house and, and he puts uh, he puts the queen into the lazy boy and all that stuff. He makes the hors d'oeuvres. We just got to, we can't leave this pot without talking about John Amos because he's sneak, he's kind of the sneaky little comedic uh, assassin weapon there towards the end of this film. And obviously, you know, an iconic act, character actor for decades. Yeah, I mean, he's definitely like... He- everyone remembers McDowell's and you think of him in the McDowell's, but what you do forget is at the end, it sort of becomes a farcical thing where he gets tempted by the prince. Once he finds out, it starts running around his own house. He has like, his own bits. money. <laughs> <laughs> and when I say I has his own money, I mean, he's got his own money. It's amazing to see him because he's this big gruff kind of guy, the foil to everything. You know, if you want to get to an American girl's heart, you got to go through the daddy, then you're golden. <laughs> but then all at the end, he does become, it becomes like a farce for him. You know, he's running around the Daryl bit is amazing with the three doors that he keeps opening. Yeah. I mean, he wants his daughters to not have to worry and work so hard like him and his mother did, which he says that in McDowell's to, to, to his daughter but in the end and he's running around after money he's running after all of this and then all of a sudden his daughter comes out with tears in her eyes and he's like what did you say to my daughter i don't care who you are and they'd write try to write him a two million dollar check and he was he tore it up he, like you can't buy him so it was really a story about a father's love and wanting the best for his daughter but then when he pops in at the very end next to the throne because they've surprised him and he's just got all this joy it's just it's too good a alien i mean you can't he has the best lines and it was funny because he had issue you know notably so with good times and it kind of becoming jj's show and all these things and in the end he left and and for it to be this kind of farcical thing and he thought he was telling a certain story or that they were telling a certain story norman lear show and then to come in here and be so um heightened with the comedy and loving it and loving telling the story but it was really human it was as farcical as it was it was very human and grounded and he he just nailed it we i mean he's he's an icon yeah, incredibly, incredibly grounded. Um, yeah, a bit of a straight man. But when he trips on those stairs, the second or third time he goes back to the door. <laughs> and then pops right back up. He's yeah, got the- energy. And then the dog, the little white dog, that's like, yeah, go get a cha cha. Yeah. <laughs> that's just good directing and editing. I mean, the movie's the movie's brilliant. Uh, let's get you guys out of here on this. Coming to America, coming to America, the number, the sequel is coming out uh this Friday. And, uh, you know, this is one of my favorite movies of all time. But as we've noticed with sequels, reboots, stuff that kind of comes around 20 
you are well, gosh, longer than that now at this point, 22 years since it last came out with the original. What do you guys, you know, are you guys excited? What's your excitement level? Maybe on a one to 10. And do you, you know, myself, I'm putting some expectations on it where I don't think it's going to blow my mind, but I certainly think it's going to be a great ride. The trailer is super funny, but I mean, what are we hoping? Do we have any predictions, expectations? Ooh, I, I don't really have any expectations for it, I guess. I, I think I'm with you that like I, I, I'm uh, I'm sure it's going to be fun. I mean, I think My Name is Dolomite was a, was great. And awesome. I think he's on another like I, I think he's back, you know, so let's let's have a fun time with it again. I think you're right. Like it's not going to be the first. It never is, but it will be what it is. And and. He's bringing a lot of people back. I think a lot of, I think we're going to be really like surprised at some of the people that we see pop up on screen for it. Um, there'll be some fun cameos and everything. Uh, so I, I think it's going to be a fun ride. I think it's going I kind of have faith in Eddie, just like you were saying with the, my name is Dolomite was good. And he knows that this is probably his crown jewel. Like we all say, I wonder like what his perspective on it is. He can't look back on it and not think that he did something iconic and it's special to him. So if he's involved in it, especially with where he's been at recently, I don't know. I kind of have high expectations for it. I mean, I know it's going to have sequel plot things to it, but I also know that it will be really, really funny. And then hopefully it has as much heart as the first one did, which I think Eddie will i don't know i'm trusting eddie i think he's going to make sure that that's in there and that it comes out you know on the upside yeah it was obviously wasn't made to be released on netflix is that what is coming out i mean it's made to be in the theater and us make big moments and and all go out and people are still going to do that and have parties and and watch it together i'm excited to see wesley snipes because this is kind of his beginning of his comeback because wesley's coming back he's now working with kevin hart on true story so he's really making a comeback. And I think he's the villain just from looking at the trailer. And so, and then there's Leslie Jones, right? And um, there's a couple other, I mean, I know there's cameos. Tracy Morgan and yeah. Some Tracy of the- Morgan, of course, who's always funny. So we'll see. I just don't want them to mess up the story, but they won't. Eddie knows, like you said, Eddie knows that we love it. And these comedians also grew up on this story too. Like it's special yeah. to them. The one thing that I did notice in the story in the trailer that is kind of shocking is that it seems like the people from the barbershop have not aged a day in the last 30 years, <laughs> yeah, which I is, love it. I love it. not only are they all still alive, they look great. They look great. Uh, never underestimate, you know, I don't know, uh, aloe vera or like, uh, I don't know. Yeah, they can't see the podcast can't see but i got my soul glow hair going too so we're ready we're ready yeah i'm ready too and that's the thing you know sometimes with these reboots and stuff i have to have uh, just a healthy amount of skepticism of is this going to be a nostalgia trip around the block and of course they're going to be bringing back all of our favorite characters but i'm with you guys especially with wesley snipes and dolomite i mean i think they are trying to legitimately put a new chapter on it instead of just kind of going through some of the motions of which a lot of films do and there's nothing wrong with that but i think we're all ready for something really fresh and i think we're all really excited to make eddie murphy and company make us really laugh um this weekend when we check out the film that's gonna do it, you guys thank you so much for joining and wait angel final words please no i just didn't i'm just like he's supposed to have a kid like whose kid is he having like i'm, that's what I'm, I'm saying. so it's curious the, it's the nightclub right it had to be in- no but they went home they went home to look I that's know. how they got to- what about one of the bathers what about one of the girls from zanumba made her way to new york you know? i thought it was gonna be the sister but then i don't know we'll see i can't wait and guys i'm so thankful and happy that you guys were able to join for coming to america the 1988 film that's getting a sequel coming to america coming out this weekend in a couple of days dan sanders joyce eric neninger angel parker thank you so much for joining you guys such a pleasure to have you back for a movie that i love so dearly 
Thanks, Joey. Thank you. This was Believe in Betting Chicago with Joey Christopoulos. Today's episode is brought to you by betonline.ag. Head to that mobile device right now and check out betonline.ag and get 50% off your first security deposit. Holy cow. Thank you so much for listening to this pod. we got a couple more coming this week. But until then, please be well, be safe, please be good to each other. We will talk soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.